You're listening to The Takeaway from WNYC and PRI Public Radio International. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be an uphill battle. We are really not healthy. I want to be taken seriously no matter what my weight. So you're always in like this low-level crisis, pitting your regular bills against whether or not you're going to buy healthy food for your kids. So obesity is a complex disease. The question is, do we have an environment that supports responsible decision? And is a greater public health challenge than anything else, than any virus, any other disease, and even terrorism. If one in six kids are obese in America, how did that happen? As we've been discussing all week in our series on obesity, if all kids have the biological predilection to like high-calorie, sugary foods, what is it that gives kids the idea, the feeling, the suggestion that part of every day should include snacks and treats and yummy desserts and second helpings or even thirds? Yesterday, we heard from Dr. Kelly Brownell, and one of the things he told us is that food marketers live to deliver this message to kids 24-7. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation has been the primary funder of work in the country on childhood obesity and has been spending close to $100 million on this now for a number of years. The food industry spends $100 million every year by January 4th just marketing, just unhealthy foods, just to children. So as you can see, public health doctors haven't a prayer of competing with food marketers, and kids haven't much of a chance of ever hearing a healthy message out of the noise of sweet offerings from the food industry. Children see a massive number of food advertisements every year. The advertisements are no longer just on TV, but they're coming at kids through the Internet and social media and any other numbers of ways, many of which are hard for parents to monitor or control. Today in our series, Dr. Sarah Abiola, Assistant Professor of Health Policy and Management at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health, talks to Mary Harris, reporter for WNYC's Health News Desk and co-host of the podcast Only Human. Mary Harris and Dr. Abiola discuss that food and beverage companies have found never-fail ways of reaching kids. I want to start with this video that came out a few years back, which I think you've seen, called Hot Cheetos and Takis. And we gonna show y'all what we be snacking on. You dig? Okay. Hot Cheetos and Takis. So it's a super charming rap performed by these really little kids. So when you saw this begin to go viral, what did you think? Well, it's just kind of an example of what we know has been happening for quite some time, which is that young people, they're really kind of forming identities, forming networks, forming preferences as a result of the communication that's happening on social media. The food industry and the beverage industry in particular are really engaged in that space and using social media, using digital media as a means to engage in really novel marketing campaigns that are not that expensive but have potentially vast impacts. What do you make of that? I should you know, start by saying there's kind of a long history of trying to regulate advertisers and to regulate the food and beverage industry as it relates to their behavior towards children. So we understand that children are not always able to determine when they're being exposed to persuasive material. And in addition to that, they're seeing it in every platform in which they're engaged. Their cell phones, their online you know, video games. So how do you begin to uh, develop a message or a set of regulations or guidelines that help to make sure that children are being exposed to messages 
that are going to be health promoting as opposed to messages that encourage them to eat food with, yeah, with, with no nutritional value. Um, so there have been aggressive campaigns by uh, federal agencies like the FTC, for example, to say we want to set some minimum guidelines when it comes to the types of foods that can be advertised to children. And let's just say those did not end well at all. Hmm. There was very organized pushback by the industry to really eliminate the ability to say that, for example, any product marketed to children would need to actually fall within an identifiable food group. Unfortunately, most of the foods that are marketed most heavily to children wouldn't meet that criteria. Well, it sounds like we're really stuck because we can't control the advertising, the traditional advertising that's on TV. And then now we have this whole other thing, which is kids advertising to each other and themselves as kind of ground up social network. It seems kind of grim. I think grim is accurate if we think about it solely from the perspective of regulation. I think that there are a number of young people who, number one, are aware that excess weight and excess fat is a problem to be addressed. So for a long time, there was kind of a concern that um, in certain communities, excess weight or obesity wasn't really perceived as a problem. I think increasingly through social media where we see young African-American and young Latino women who are, you know, really making strides when it comes to changing their lifestyle and changing their eating behaviors. And so a lot of these young women on social media who are sharing their journey through online videos on platforms like YouTube, for example, that they then also stream on Facebook, is to say, look, I started at, you know, a very disadvantaged position. I weighed, you know, three or 400 pounds and I didn't have a nutritionist. I didn't have a physical trainer and I was able to do it. Hello, YouTube. My name is Shonda and today is day two of my commitment to lose 300 pounds. Now, these examples are viewed by hundreds of thousands, in some cases, millions of people, right? So we know that there's a lot of people who have seen these videos, and many of them will kind of come and say, I feel so inspired just because I've seen you do this. I feel I can do it. I feel I can relate. So it's almost like you have a kind of community-generated biggest loser. Now, that's hopeful in terms of really thinking that young people can start to perceive that they have the capacity to change, but it doesn't really address the, the kind of broader picture of how we kind of leverage social media generally or how we begin to regulate the use of social media in the context of advertising to really change it. But it does give me hope that there are people who are who are kind of out there who are sharing their stories, who are very persuasive when it comes to making the argument that with time, with patience, with dedication, you can actually make a difference. Sarah Abiola is an assistant professor at the Mailman School of Public Health at Columbia. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts.